Hello everyone, my name is Alicia and welcome back to Luck Be a Soldier, a podcast where my father, Major General Ali Kiza, speaks to us about his over 50-year experience as an active member of Uganda's Air Force. So we're coming back from a two-week hiatus because even though our soldier is retired, he still performs some aviation duties for Uganda, so he's been away. And in the last episode, we heard through the eyes of the soldier the change for Uganda from Idi Amin's government to a rapid turnover in presidents. In today's episode, we get to hear about Uganda under a military commission, the return of a former president, and a tough decision by the soldier to leave it all behind. So hello, Dad. Hello, young lady. Welcome back. Thank you, and I'm glad to come back. And on this episode, as we've been introduced by Alicia, we left off when the military commission, headed by Paul Mwanga, deputized by President Museveni, Colonel Maroro as the secretary, and other officers like Oito Jok and Tito Kelo as members of the commission. This commission, we were told, was set up in Arusha in 1979 when the interim government was set up, which was initially headed by President Yusuf Rule. So the commission seemed to have been dormant during Rule's time and Binaisa's time. It was not much known until Binaisa made the mistake of uh, removing some members of the military commission to give them ambassadorial positions and uh, ministries which were not uh, very close at home. Mwanga being made minister of the African community, Oito Jok being made uh, ambassador to Algeria and appointing a new army commander. So this military commission decided that they are taking over power from Binaisa and Mwanga became the chairman of the commission deputized by Museveni, and after they took over, they appointed a presidential commission, sort of, of three presidents. One was from Buganda, one was from the west, and one was from the north of Uganda. These people were president in name. I personally flew them once to Dar es Salaam. All three of them, you flew them together as representatives of Uganda, as heads of Uganda. Yes, they were three. Actually, I think they were going to pay homage to President Kambarage Nyerere of Tanzania. And that was the only time I ever flew them. Most of the flying was either by President Mwanga going out on government missions. Officially, he was not head of state, but he ran the show. Or President Museveni, who would also go out occasionally on the presidential jet. So Mwanga ran the whole show. And uh, this is when he decided Obote must come back, and Obote came back. And uh, he came back on a, a Tanzanian plane. He landed in Mbarara and was driven to Ushenyi for a welcome, that place being a very strong UPC at that time. Obote directly did not interfere with the government until after the elections of 1980, December. But uh, Mwanga was doing the show for him. Initially, they wanted to get elections under an umbrella of the UNLA, the Uganda National Liberation Army, or Uganda National Liberation Front. But that was rejected by others, so they decided to go multi-party. When they went multi-party, President 
I'm sorry, I keep referring to Mwanga as president, but he was not a president, but he was the chairman of the military commission, organized the elections, and Obote ran his UPC party. Paul Semogere ran the DP party, and uh, President Museveni started the Uganda Patriotic Movement. So those were the three major parties. I personally, with the work I did of flying, was going out with Mwanga to different countries for different missions. While working at this time, from the fall of Idi Amin, we were not being paid with the crew who were outside of the military at this time. The Uganda National Liberation Army had taken over government, but I was not part of that National Liberation Army. And they never asked me even to join, but I continued flying. Ask you to fly and they wouldn't pay you. Yes, I would be flying, but they wouldn't pay me. So I lived on the savings I made on per diem, which I got. Per diem means per daily maintenance, which you get while you go abroad or outside your station. So why didn't you just say, no, I can't fly anymore, why don't you pay me? Because they obviously needed you because you were the best around at that time, or else they wouldn't ask you, they would have asked someone else who was part of their group. But they asked you because they knew you were good, but they still weren't paying you. Why didn't you negotiate, Dad? Well, things were more political than professional. One day, I said I'm not going to fly, and I was flying with Captain Paul Babula, and Mwanga was going out. I said, since they are not paying me, I'm not flying. Mwanga arrived at the airport, I'm not there. And Babula came back and uh, persuaded me, said, you know, this is a, a government flight now, and the chairman of the commission is uh, at the airport waiting, we better go, and uh, maybe we negotiate later. I went on this flight, and I continued flying. Even my engineer, Captain Teriki at that time, also felt the same way. Then it was me who persuaded him, let's do, we just keep earning our per diem, and we live like that. So from 1979, April, until I left this country, I never got any salary from government. I worked as a volunteer and was living on allowances. Because of your love for aviation and flying? Yes, because of my love of aviation and flying and uh, serving my country actually more than that, serving my country. Because I had international licenses, had an airline transport pilot's license. It was possible to go out and get a job. Although I had not flown for airlines, I would go out and get a job, but I wanted to serve my country. Mwanga worked on the elections. People campaigned. The day of the elections, we were supposed to take out to the Minister of Foreign Affairs to Congo. So we waited for elections to put our votes in the boxes in Entebbe, actually at the Entebbe Catholic Church in Ibugonga. After the elections, we took off with the Minister of Foreign Affairs and went to Congo. We spent there one night. The Minister of Foreign Affairs saw the President of Congo, Mobutu. When we came back, the results were not yet out, so we kept listening to radio stations. There were no results. Then the results started coming in piece by piece, showing that DP was winning. But on the third day after elections, the chairman of the military commission, Paul Mwanga, announced that nobody should give out election results except him and the military commission. So people who were jubilating started cooling down. Those who wanted Democratic Party, especially it was the, the bigger, it was one of the biggest 
UPC and the DP were the biggest. So, Mwanga started announcing the results himself one by one and all results in Buganda except one constituency were given to the Democratic Party. But the results outside Uganda, most of them were given to UPC. And the UPM got one constituency in Kasese. So after the results were announced, people who supported the UPC, of course, jubilated. The people who supported the other parties, they were mad. Kampala was quiet initially, then eventually started some demonstrations. But the military commission, of course, had all the arms and the people were quieted. Obote was sworn in as the new president. When Obote was sworn in, I started flying Obote. I flew him a few times because I didn't stay long. Flew him to Congo. He met Mobutu. Flew him to Dar es Salaam a few times. Then Organization of African Unity Conference, which was held in Nairobi, Kenya, in 1981. I flew Obote to Nairobi. That whole time you still weren't getting paid? All that time I wasn't being paid. When we got back... We had arranged for the aircraft to go for maintenance. But at this time, I was feeling very uneasy. I was getting information from different people, credible information that some of the people in the military, especially those who are close to State House, were taking me as a person of Amini now. After I've been serving all this time, they're saying this person should not be working for them. Despite you working for them for free, despite yes. you flying them to all these places that they wanted to take you without being paid, they still thought that you were loyal to one person and not loyal to Uganda as a whole. That's right. They thought I was not loyal to Uganda. And I don't know what the source of the information, why they thought so. And one of them told the group that this guy will not even use our guns. We'll just get him his head and twist it and finish him up. In other words, suffocate me to death. So with these type of stories and me working as a volunteer, no payment, nothing, I decided when I go for maintenance, I won't come back. I didn't tell anybody except one person who was my wife. I told her I'm not coming back. And she was shocked, but that was the truth. And we left and went to the USA. We did the maintenance. After the maintenance, I flew, still with the late Captain Babula, we flew back to London in order to fly back to Uganda, but they didn't know my intention. When we reached London, normally we book a hotel, one hotel altogether. I had already booked my another hotel where to go. I just checked out of the hotel where the rest of the crew were and went to another hotel. And from that hotel, I called the Captain Babula. I told him, Babula, just as you went in exile in 1978, I'm also going to exile now. I'm not coming back to Uganda. I'm sorry, I'm leaving you with the aircraft in London, not in Uganda, but I, I can't go back to Uganda now. It was just you and him who were the only two pilots yes, of the plane. Yes, only two of us flying the aircraft at that time. Although Bulgaria had a train on the aircraft, but he was in Uganda airline. He was flying in Uganda airline. What did he say when you told him? 
He tried to convince me that let's go back, maybe then you can decide from there to go elsewhere. You told him you felt like your life was in danger. Yes, my life is in danger. I don't want to keep it in danger all the time. Just like you did when you saw your life was in danger, you came with Uganda Airlines flying it in London and you never went back to Uganda. So I'm also not going back. You thought that maybe your luck was running out because you've had many lucky escapes and you thought you're pushing it, you have to leave. That's right. And uh, the following day, I bought a ticket and went back to the USA. That was my end with Uganda. At that time, I went into exile. You were a political refugee. I think I was a political refugee because they asked me why I was out. I said, I can't uh, work with the government anymore. I feel my life is in danger. So they gave me a work permit, and uh, I started looking for jobs. I looked at Gulfstream, where the aircraft were flying, where it was manufactured. They didn't give me a job at that time. I looked for another company called Flight Safety, which trained the pilots. They didn't give me a job. I eventually started doing my own business. A guy who was a friend of mine, a retired American colonel, was running a franchise of a restaurant, and he had also laundromats. He gave me ideas and was getting out of business. Now he wanted staying just a retired guy. He sold me the franchise. I took over the franchise of Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen is an American franchise which specializes mostly on uh, ice cream. Whose ice cream you still love to this day. Yes. So I started working in there. How did you feel though? Because you came from aviation, you came from having this exciting job to running a franchise. How did you feel? And you were far away from your country that you loved? The love of the country was more hurtful because I still had my people in Uganda, my parents were still alive. I felt bad, but at least I knew my life was safe. So that comforted me. But in that whole time, did you think you were going to stay there forever or did you have hopes of returning to Uganda? At the beginning, I didn't know really what would happen because the government had just gone into power. It had five years. What I knew, a war had also started immediately after the government of Obote II was formed. The war started actually while I was still around. Some few people asked me to join that war immediately. But I was not sure of the people who were leading the, the war at that time. I had no co- much connection, and I decided not to join that war. I just didn't have good connections. Because some of these things, you want a good connection to know whom you're going with. I was not sure if I go with the people, whether they would say, oh, this is a senior man of Idi Amin, and hurt me. Things like that went through my mind. I just kept hoping that something would happen, and I come back. Eventually, in the middle of the war, I got some connections. I wanted to come back, actually, and now join the war. I had my brother, who was a registrar at Uganda College of Commerce, Mr. Abdul Chiria. He got some people who knew some other people, and he connected me to someone in Nairobi, where I'm seven years to go occasionally. This guy became eventually a minister. He's still serving government up to date, Mr. Kionga. When I talked to Mr. Kionga, expressed my coming back and talking to Museveni, Kionga didn't know me. So he dodged me around and around and around until I could talk to Museveni. Museveni, when he would go to Nairobi, 
he would stay at Dr. Kiyonga's home. I was told, or at least he would be there sometimes. So I gave up and I, I couldn't find other people who could bring me back and go to the bush to fight. Going in the bush was always, for people high up, was always by invitation, literally. My brother, Mr. Rashidi Kitunzi, who was a director in the Bank of Uganda, went and uh, trained in Libya to come back and join the group in the bush. He trained with, actually, with the Kale Kaihura. They were staying together in Libya, and these were highly educated people. Kaihura was a lawyer with a master's degree. My brother was director in Bank of Uganda with a master's degree in economics. But when he came back to Nairobi, he was supposed to be taken to the bush by a guy who was his schoolmate. And he was a high ranking in the NRA. But that guy was killed in Kampala. So my brother could not get a connection to go into the bush, although he had been trained in Libya. So he left Nairobi and went to Zambia, where he started working until the takeover of President Museveni. He came back, uh, I think, late 86. But still, he didn't join. He just went back and worked in Bank of Uganda. He left the military. You also came back in 1986? Yes, I came back in 1986. And I stayed around. Still, to rejoin was almost by invitation. I stayed around and uh, got a few people to take me to Museveni, first got uh, Major John Kazora, who was the RDC of Kampala at that time. He couldn't get me audience with Museveni. Then my brother's wife worked with Mr. Kiseka, who was the prime minister at first, then later vice president. She got a person who was a friend of Kiseka called Mr. Kakembo. They talked with Mr. Kakembo. Mr. Kakembo took me to Mr. Kiseka. And Mr. Kiseka, I don't know whether he talked with the, the president or not. I was staying in Lake Victoria Hotel at that time. One day I was there, they sent somebody and said, you are needed at State House. So I went to State House. I found other officers there. They were waiting for the president. He was out in the field. He came back by helicopter in the evening. And we met there. And he told me to go to Republic House, where the Army headquarters was at that time, which is Vlange today. I rejoined the Army in 1987 and started flying M7 again. I had flown M7 earlier in 1980. I had flown him to the independence of Zimbabwe. He represented Uganda because the military commission was in charge. Then I had flown him to Iraq and a few other places. So when uh, sent me to army headquarters, they reinstated me, uh, they gave me a military number. He told me to be the deputy director of the Air Force, under Colonel Ivan Coretta. So we started again running the Air Force professionally. Of course, Coretta was not an Air Force guy, but he was already in the system. I knew the Air Force very well, and eventually I took over from Coretta and became director. And the rest is history, as they say. Yes, and the rest is history. So thank you, Dad, for taking us through your stories as an Air Force fan in the most eventful years for Uganda, because this is actually our penultimate episode. Next week's episode is going to be our final episode for the podcast, because after that, really, things just became smooth. You just flew. There was not much action happening. You did take us in earlier episodes through some of the eventful situations that happened while you were actually flying, some of the near accident experiences. 
So next week's episode is going to be our final episode for the podcast. We want to thank you, everyone, for listening to my father's story so far. Yes, and uh, people who may have questions, those who have my WhatsApp number can send me questions in advance. Then I'll be able to answer those questions to the best of my knowledge. And uh, some can send questions direct to Alicia, those who have her WhatsApp number, through social media. And we thank you again for listening. And we will see you next Tuesday for the final episode. Bye-bye, everyone.